0: Welcome to the Edge of Sports podcast. I'm Dave Zirin.
1: Good evening. Tonight is a celebration of sports, celebrating our accomplishments and our victories. But in this moment of celebration, we actually start the show tonight this way. The four of us talking to our fellow athletes with the country watching, because we cannot ignore the realities of the current state of America. The events of the past week have put a spotlight on the injustice, distrust, and anger that plague so many of us. The system is broken. The problems are not new, the violence is not new, and the racial divide definitely is not new. But the urgency to create change is at an all-time high. We stand here tonight accepting our role in uniting communities to be the change we need to see. We stand before you as fathers, sons, husbands, brothers, uncles, and in my case, as an African-American man and the nephew of a police officer who was one of the hundreds of thousands of great officers serving this country. But, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Eric Gardner, Laquan McDonald, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, This is also our reality. Generations ago, legends like Jesse Owens, Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali, John Carlos, and Tommy Smith, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown, Billie Jean King, Arthur Ashe, and countless others, they set a model for what athletes should stand for. So we choose to follow in their footsteps.
0: As the praise continues to be showered upon Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James, and rightfully so for using that moment at the start of the ESPYs to have something to say, the question actually hangs. What next? What should be done? And should they do more? To try to get to the bottom of that question, we are going to speak right now To Royce White. Royce White is somebody who was a first-round draft pick in the National Basketball Association. He's somebody who now finds himself on the outside looking into the league because he stood up to what he referred to as the league's utterly unacceptable policies dealing with mental health. He's somebody who has sacrificed, and he's somebody who is now looking at what these star athletes are doing, and he has real criticisms. And I wanted to give him a forum to speak about those criticisms. But before we get to Royce White, I want to read a portion of the open letter that he wrote to Carmelo Anthony. Dear Carmelo, I guess I have to be the one to say the tough thing. I guess I have to be the one to say it every time. I agree and have tremendous respect for everything you said in your letter on these most recent tragedies. I only wonder if you and the rest of the athletes who have an opinion on the matter understand that it is the same systemic lack of respect and appreciation for humanity that is at the heart of all our social issues. Greed masquerading as business and or capitalism has undermined all that we claim to value in this country. Equality, justice, education, health, including mental health, family, etc. No bigger or better example of that misguided greed than in our very own league. Standing up will probably mean first standing up in our own league. You, LeBron, Chris, Dwayne have all been openly exploited and taken for fools your entire career. How about using Dwayne for those NBA cares about reading and education commercials? Oh, bull****. Excuse my language. The NBA cares about literacy and education, but they create a one-year draft rule that has no scholastic bearing on degree completion, and they don't pay for early departing students to go back to finish their degree once they've been churned through the three- to four-year average career span? You see what I mean, brother? And the list goes on. Anti-gun violence, gay rights, all marketing bullshit. I digress. The fight for progress, equality, integrity, justice requires sacrifice. I saw the mention that you made of losing endorsements. I agree, that fear must go. But are you willing to lose your contract? I definitely was. The heroes, MLK Jr. and Malcolm, that you mentioned were willing to lose their lives. Are we coming close to matching that sacrifice? We're not even willing to sacrifice financial comfort and materials to demand that our league stops failing our mental health as players. Our government is failing our entire country's mental health. They don't respect us because we haven't required them to. See the trend? See the correlation? When you allow the very league you take a check from to dismiss your wellness, you discredit your own call for progress, and you give permission to others to also neglect wellness, health, life. The police are having their mental health extremely neglected in the name of business, the same way we are as players— PTSD among officers is an epidemic. Even racism itself is a disease of the mind, as Toni Morrison said. The progress you speak of is undoubtedly necessary, but it can't be superficial in any way. It has to be gritty and inconvenient. That'll indicate that it's real. It definitely doesn't need to be violent, but it absolutely has to be well-informed. This is a response to your call to athletes and the thoughtful letter you penned. It is intended with all due respect. Hopefully, we can discuss these ideas further. I would love to hear more of your perspective. P.S. Philando is one of ours. I didn't know him personally, however he worked at St. Paul Central High School. It's located in the heart of the neighborhood I grew up in and that generations of my family have remained helpful and peaceful patrons of. He was shot and killed in Falcon Heights, a place I drive through daily. His loss is a heavy loss felt in the hearts of all in the community. Mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, friends, girlfriends, and so on. My thoughts are with his immediate family. Be well, Royce White. Those were the words, of course, of Royce White. And now we have him right here on the line. So Royce White, uh, why why did you feel compelled to write that open letter to Carmelo Anthony?
2: I think I should start off by saying and making it clear that I'm not against Carmelo Anthony or or anybody else. I 100% support anybody pushing for social change. I do have to be somewhat critical of him, though, because I have a problem with any superficial bullshit. And there's just a serious hint of bullshit when you wait until it's convenient to speak the truth. Hmm.
0: Yeah, talk a little bit more about that. Because like, uh, the other way of looking at that would be to say, we've reached a crisis moment and there have been protests and that's pushed them to speak out.
2: Yeah, well, I, here, here's what I think. The majority of people who want social change are usually in a position socioeconomically where pushing change causes them significant hardship. Mm-hmm. Change causes everyone inconvenience, but obviously more so on those with very little. You know, now, right. ironically, it's usually the socioeconomically disadvantaged people who end up pushing the change. Right. You know, risk very little. They do have to make some difference. And and the people that he referenced in that letter, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, you know, he, he didn't mention Cesar Chavez, but I'll throw that name in there, and, and countless others who weren't famous but did meaningful work, even fellow athletes like Muhammad Ali, who I have great respect for, Arthur Ashe and Kurt Flood. None of those people had the $100 million of the peripheral network that a guy like Carmelo or LeBron has, but they still put themselves on the line to move the needle. So I take it personal as an athlete that has always risked personal gain for social change to be blanket called to action by a guy who I haven't seen much out of. You know, Mm -hmm. actually what I've seen is plenty of political contradiction on... A part of Carmelo, Dwayne, Chris, LeBron, and through the leadership of, of fellow basketball players before them, such as Michael Jordan, and a path that they've laid for athletes coming after them, such as Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, and guys that look up to those four that stood up on the SB stage and, and gave a very fluffy presentation. You know, it was very allowed. It was very on the surface.
0: Uh, and I, I want to get to that presentation in just a moment, but talk a little bit about that. Contr- what's the contradiction that you see? Though you mentioned there's this contradiction in terms of how they present themselves, how they lay out their politics. What's the contradiction that you see?
2: You know, when you talk to their, there's this flashpoint or breaking point. Number one, I don't think that these last two incidents are somehow a breaking point. I think these are things that we see going on every day and we've been seeing them going on every day of every year in LeBron James' career right. and, and Carmelo or whoever else. You know, it was two years ago that I wrote the I Can't Read Either piece and, mm-hmm. and we were talking about Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin in those days and now almost two years later we're talking about just two different people, equally as important and equally as tragic, but the same type of situation. So that's my first question, and you know, of the significance of what's being said, but, but let's take a different look at it and I'll give you case and point of the contradiction. Honestly. Let's take OJ Mayo, for example, he gets banned for substance abuse. Even though we know scientifically that substance abuse is almost always tied to an underlying mental illness. Once someone crosses a certain point in using any drug, it becomes less and less a recreational choice and more of a medical issue. There's a term for that it's called addiction. Mm. or or self-medication. Exactly. Either way, it's a real medical issue. Okay. They ban him for a medical issue, which is wrong. And it's irresponsible. And if they actually cared, they put him in rehab and consult with the doctor on whether banning him makes his drug use worse possibly. And maybe they did that. But I, I know from my own experience with the protocols that that's not how it goes in, in that industry. Now, had they listened to me four years ago when I advocated for the reconstruction of a comprehensive health plan that would include mental health. Maybe we don't have this type of outcome with the OJ mayor or Larry Sanders. So there's your mistreatment right there. And I think it's a contradiction for you to call fellow athletes to the table or the community to the table when you're not holding the people accountable that are right there in your own spot, in your own industry, in your own workplace, in your own constituency. So there's mistreatment there, but here's your exploitation, and, and this is where I think that we haven't made the correlation yet, especially for athletes, is that what we are seeing in our inability to take meaningful action in the, the social issues that we're having in this country and around the world are of the same culture and mindset of the exploitation that happens within our league. There's no difference. The only difference is that we're paid much more better than the average person, but the mindset is still the same that there's a price on life and in the name of business, we can turn our eye away from the importance of that. So here's your exploitation. And this is where I don't think LeBron James or Carmelo Anthony or Chris Paul or any of those other guys who have something to say on social issues when it's convenient for them have made this correlation yet. You let them ban a fellow player who's struggling with addiction and then turn around and play and let them sell sponsorships for addictive substances like alcohol on the backs of, of you. Mm. That right there is the contradiction. That's what I mean. It, it, it's a slap in the face. You know, how dare you ban OJ Mayo for whatever substance he was using. And then you just turn around and you sell Hennessy on the backs of LeBron James and Carmelo, like Chris Paul, who's our union president player union president should have a problem with that. LeBron James should have a problem with that, but it's too inconvenient for them to have a problem with that. It's very convenient for them to speak on something that the rest of the public has already spoken on.
3: Okay, mm-hmm.
2: that's the status quo. The status quo is that we're having an issue with the police and black communities. That's status quo. That's what I mean by surface.
0: And of course, even though they would never say this, let's be frank, like the, the, the ESPN, ABC, Disney, they don't offer that primetime space for them to speak without the shootings in Dallas it doesn't happen if it's just about Philando Castile and Alton Sterling exactly so let me ask you this too because Chris Paul head of the union on a very personal level did Chris Paul has he had your back has he spoken out on your behalf on behalf of this issue of uh, of mental wellness and leak protocol yeah
2: I've never spoken to Chris Paul once you know and and I'm not saying that he has to talk to me because this is America and he chooses to do what he wants to. But if you take up the mantle of being president of a union and your position or, or your purpose is to draw people closer to equality within a workplace, how have we not had a discussion yet? Did I say something that wasn't true? Did I bring up a gripe that isn't valid? I mean, we wrote a letter on behalf of the medical community, and I had five doctors sign the very rights and, and, and concerns that I brought up four years ago. How have we still not had a conversation yet? Mm. You know, and, and meanwhile, again, we'll talk contradiction. The insurance industry that constantly exploits natural human conflict, drama, uh, misfortune, you're doing ads for them. You, you, you're letting them sell insurance to people on the backs of your talent and ability, but we we can't have a conversation, a real conversation. So to me, it's superficial, you know? And I think right now, as we look at what Martin Luther King and people like Malcolm X and Gandhi and those people were able to do, number one, they sacrificed so much. And in reality, as great as their sacrifice was and as important as it was, the movement of the needle was really insignificant, which lets you know that if you were effort is in any way disingenuous, that the movement of the needle will be none because the people who want to preserve inequality will find another way to do so. They've shown that, Mm. okay? They gave us the right to vote in this country. I mean, us, meaning black people, meaning women, meaning... uh,
0: People who were not originally intended to have a voice.
2: Okay. They gave us the right to vote because they understand something that we're just now hopefully understanding. I don't know if LeBron and those guys understand it, but... The conscious world understands that in a democracy, in order for it to work correctly and efficiently, you have to have two things. Number one, the people have to be educated, which statistically we are seeing that we are not educated properly. And number two, you have to have access to good information. Mm. And we're being misinformed on a daily basis. So, and, and the same people who they take these checks from and, and these endorsements from and play for are perpetuators of that. Now, am I saying that they should stop playing? No, I'm not saying that. Should I say that we should strike against the NBA? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that you at least have to stick your neck out there somewhat to bring people to the table to have the truthful conversation and demand honest answers. We're not even doing that, and I know that because I'm on the inside. Okay, I, I know what the union goes through in getting players to actually fight for themselves, okay, much less fight on their behalf. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that going forward, one of the positive results of what we saw at the Espies could mean that the Royce Whites of the future have far more political cover to speak their mind?
2: It's rough to say. I mean, that, that, I think it's possible. I mean, I think it's very possible.
0: So that's a positive, yes?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a positive, And it's possible that we do see some movement there. My thing is this. At a point, the genuine nature of the fight it has to come to the surface, and it has to be there, and it has to be a commitment, there has to be an uncompromising approach. And if we don't get that as players as citizens in this country, players included, but really citizens as a whole, if the commitment isn't genuine and you don't really match the extreme nature of the condition then we're not going to see any change, and that's what we've seen. I mean, 1964, we were, it took us 1,300 years to think that even women deserve the right to vote.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We always take too long to do the obvious social change, okay? And the fact that the problems are so obvious and the inaction is so blatant makes you think that it's intentional. It makes you ask mm-hmm. the question, is it intentional? Okay, like, for example, to tie it back to the 1,300 years it took to give women the right to vote, even white women the right to vote, we've now been in a situation with the NBA for, by David Stern's word himself, said that they've been dealing with this mental health thing for three decades. He said that when they asked him a question about me. Back in 2012 with the Rockets, a reporter asked him, well, Roy said this is the first time you've been dealing with mental health, which I didn't say. I said it's the first time they've been confronted on policy, but... He answered that question by saying that they've been dealing with it for 30 years, for three decades. It's ridiculous, the claims that Royce has made, right? Well, if you've been dealing with it for 30 years, how come you don't have any concrete policies? How come you have general managers within your league saying that you guys aren't doing the best job you can? You're not even throwing a stone in the ocean for what you could be doing. right? That is the lack of progression that right-wingers have plagued this country with.
0: I mean, you were an All-American in college, came into the league with so much hype. Do you have any regrets about being as outspoken as you were? Because the amount of money you obviously left on the table to take this stand, I mean, really does meet the definition of the sacrifice that you were talking about at the start of this interview.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, the money we see in my generation clearly that there is no amount of money that can help you escape condition okay and and I'll give you a great example I lost my grandfather recently seven months ago to lung cancer Mm. I could have had two billion dollars Nike could have gave me a billion dollars two times for my likeness and I still wouldn't have been able to bring him back not because there's no efficiency of money not because money has no use in this country that's not what I'm saying but what I'm saying is that we haven't dedicated the commitment and resources to research and so that if lung cancer has a cure out there to be found, maybe it is purchasable. Okay, we've made it so that the money isn't even actionable in situ in most situations, in the situations that matter the most, like making sure that people have great health, for example. And mental health is a prime microcosm with that. So,
0: Royce, I, I mean, I'd be utterly remiss if I didn't ask you about what your plans are going forward. Because cause you make this critique, what it does is, if, as you well know, is that it makes the door a little bit more closed in terms of prospects for you to come back. Which is, of course, kind of exposes the lie at the heart of Adam Silver saying that he doesn't care if players are being political. Because, of course, there are things you can say that'll make, make the league think that you're radioactive and untouchable and all the rest of it, no matter how good a player you are. So what are your plans going forward, whether regarding basketball or life in general?
2: I mean, I think I'm just going to continue to try and move the needle. There has to be a group of people who are committed to that. And, you know, I warned them back then. And people will listen to this and say, who are you to warn the NBA of anything? They're a global brand. But... At the end of the day, social change starts with one person. It starts with a group of people, and that group of people expands and gets more ambitious and gets more daring and, and more courageous. And I warned the NBA that at the end of the day, what you believe is important to me isn't important to me, or it isn't as important to me as you think it is, which makes you vulnerable to the progress that's coming, because you think that you can buy me off of my task, because this is about what it would be about for you, which is the money, which is power, which is exclusion and, and other things that are customary in your world. And where I come from and, and the background that I come from, those aren't the customs. Right. Okay? The customs are to push social change down the throat of people who wish to preserve inequality. And you keep pushing it down their throat until they have no choice but to swallow it. You understand? So moving that needle, that's fun for me. I love it.
0: Mm. <laughs> so let me ask you this. When you see LeBron James on a stage, do you see someone speaking back to power or do you see someone who represents power?
2: I see a confused person. And again, I don't, I'm not against these guys. You know, I have love for my fellow basketball players, number one, but my fellow human beings, fellow minorities, fellow men, fellow fathers, I have love for those guys but well, again, what I don't think that they understand is that just because Nike gives you a billion dollars doesn't mean that you still can't be a pawn in a very malicious game. Mm. Yes, you get up on the stage and speak very superficially to a current issue, but let's take a look at who owns ESPN. Let's take a look at what ESPN does. OK, journalistically, media wise, how misinforming are they? As a matter of fact, I think their business model is in support of crappy journalism. Let's just be honest. And when you go on and you participate and you don't call to action, the people who are making money off of you should do something different. How could you call anybody else to do something different? These are your partners. I know they don't look at themselves like they don't look at themselves like partners. And that's the confusing part to me. The condition right now is so extreme that if there is a hint of disingenuous nature in the progress, then it won't be a whole progress. Okay. And it will be a compromise and the compromise will allow for the exploitation to still live in some shape or form. When we push to the goal line, Number one, we're moving the needle, okay? Like I said, with us getting the right to vote. Yes, that moved the needle, but we were starting off behind the end zone, and we maybe moved Mm. into the end zone, okay? Our value of life has to come to a point where we say, listen, one Philando, one, you know, Michael Brown, one Eric Gardner, one cop. Who gets killed? Uh, one veteran who has PTSD who can't mm. get support. One person who dies from cancer who who didn't have health insurance. That's too much. That's one too many. And if we're not willing to push the needle far enough so that that value is what is practiced, then all of the complaining is bullshit. Mm.
0: You know, that's that's real talk. Um, And you mentioned veterans. It's difficult to not think of the fact that the two police shootings in Baton Rouge and Dallas, both done by veterans, which immediately raises the issue of untreated PTSD. But nobody's talking about it through that lens. It's all, oh, they have black skin, and therefore that's the key point, that they have black skin and not the actual lived experience of being through the armed forces during this era of just endless war
2: nobody's talking about it because there's a fear-mongering system in political media. You and I both know it, which is why I love coming on your show and why I love working with you. And I love the friendship that we've developed over the years, but in, in, in mainstream political media, there's a fear-mongering business model. And right now what's selling is this race war. Okay. And, and the idea that blacks and whites are getting in rooms secretly and, and plotting on killing each other. And that's selling and people are are eating it up and Twitter's eating it up, so so let's throw it out there some more. The real truth is this. We know, statistically, that those black men who shot those cops were trained by white men. Mm. Okay? We also know that the white cops who are getting a really unfair shake, I have police in my family who are getting an unfair shake, great men, caring men who have to do this country's most gruesome, most trauma-filled job. The conversations that we don't even, can't even stomach in regular interaction between citizens. They're getting pulled into a media-targeted agenda. I feel bad for the police, just as bad as I feel for the people who have been shot and killed by police. Because really, how could we blame the police when they've been trained that way? How do we not blame the politicians and the lobbyists who push Police training reform to the back burner for things like militarization. How do we do that? You know, we do it because we're uneducated. That's how.
0: And the craziest thing to go to your neck of the woods, I'm sure you've heard about this about the Philando Castile shooting was that the officer who pulled the trigger had been through something called like warrior code training. Yeah, I heard really, really screwed up way of training police officers effectively to see everybody as the enemy and see yourself basically as a soldier in a war.
2: And what's scary about it is that we'll have this conversation, this podcast will come out, and because it's so inconvenient to think progressively, which is another plague in this country, we are a convenience seeking society. We we seek out the convenience. We we are taught to find the easiest way of the path of least resistance when And most times the social change, the only way is the hard way. And that's a perfect example of it. The fact that they're trained that way, the problem with that is so obvious and the inaction is so blatant that I can only conclude that it's intentional. I mean, that's not Mm. a hard equation. We're training our officers wrong, period. We see that by our results. Now, when you have right-wingers who go, well, misfortune is a part of humanity, and inequality is going to happen, and and tragedy is going to befall us. Those are excuses of people who don't want to be tasked with finding good solutions. And those type of people need to relinquish power, period. Those ideologies are outdated, they're obsolete, and they do not work for a society and a, a humanity that wants to find the best possible quality of life for the people that inhabit it.
0: Well, that that says it all right there. Um, one last question for you, just because you're in St. Paul. Uh, what's the mood like, in the aftermath of Philando's killing?
2: You know, I actually lived downtown St. Paul, and in the aftermath, a few days afterward, uh, Black Lives Matter had convened to shut down 94. I could see it from my apartment window. It just reassured me that on the sixth floor of my apartment building where I seem to be or or to feel like I'm out of the fray. I'm really not. It's right out of my window, literally, you know, not metaphorically, literally. And the mood here, I think in the Twin Cities, because we're such a progressive place, you know, you look at Black Lives Matter and and you look at the rally that they put together here was made up majority of of white people, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think that, again, Uh, if if you listen to and you watch the media, take a look tonight after you hear this podcast, go look at any coverage of Black Lives Matter. They'll show you footage of black people talking about injustice. Like once again, we're standing on a soapbox and it's the same way they tried to to do me when I advocated for mental health policy has made it seem like I was this one anomaly person asking for special treatment when really that's not the case. You know, really this hatred, this anger, this tension that we are seeing as a result of a number of systemic problems here in this country is affecting us all. Really, I'm not even talking to the low and middle class people here in the Twin Cities. I'm talking to whatever billionaires think that they've escaped it because they can go to Maui for three months out of the year. You, you haven't escaped it because your daughter still has to go to school here. Okay, you want to send your daughter to the University of Minnesota? It's 10 minutes from the north side where you don't think it's important to educate the lower middle class until they straddle down on into campus and desperation, you know, and misfortune. Now there's a robbery. Do you see what I mean? Like, you could easily mm-hmm. convince yourself of bullshit, And that's what I yeah. felt like there was a perpetuation of in the SBS presentation. Um, And the way the NBA has handled mental health and the way the NBA promotes anti-gun violence or gay rights or or any of these other fluffy marketing jobs that they do. And and really Carmelo Anthony's letter is like, don't convince yourself of any bullshit. If you really want change, you have to be willing to accept how dark of a place we're in, or else the light that you shed probably won't be sufficient enough.
0: Last thing, Royce. Just I want—I'm putting out a little seed here for everybody. Uh, you and me speaking together at the St. Paul Freedom Library on September 21st. Uh, I'm looking forward to that a great deal.
2: Yeah, I can't wait, man. I'm glad that that you're uh, you're coming coming home to St. Paul. You
0: know. Hey, man, it it is my home away from home. There's no question about it. All right, my brother. I will see you September 21st.
2: Yeah, man, can't wait. Appreciate you. As well, appreciate you too. Bye, bye. Peace.
0: Royce White. You can follow him on Twitter at highway underscore 30. Now I got some choice words here of my own about how the media is framing this discussion about Black Lives Matter and sports and that intersection, which has gotten so much media coverage over the last couple of weeks. On Wednesday, I appeared on ESPN's flagship program, Outside the Lines, along with a group of current and former pro athletes, and the topic was the role of jocks in the Black Lives Matter movement and how they can exercise their fame and platform for the greater good. Now, I love Outside the Lines, and it was an utter honor to appear on the show. But that being said, as I was sitting in my chair, given my two cents, there was something about the way the issue was being framed that felt off to me, and I couldn't really articulate why until afterwards, which, believe me, is always a great feeling. (laughs) To be clear, this isn't just about outside the lines. This is about the way the entire media has framed this intersection between sports and politics in the wake of the killings of Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, and the five police officers in Dallas. See, I'd seen it for several days across cable television, but I hadn't really seen it. So here we go. Here's the way the issue has been presented. First, there's an intro about the tradition of athletes and social movements, usually featuring people like Muhammad Ali and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And then they ask the question, what role can athletes play to be that bridge, that force for good between the black community and police? Now, this very formulation puts us on the wrong path before the conversation about what athletes can do even begins. It warps the proud history of athletic activism and presents a false solution to the problems in front of us. Muhammad Ali, for one example, did not try to build a bridge between the pro-war establishment and anti-war activists. Kareem did not try to bring together racists and anti-racists to agree upon their mutual antipathy. They took a side. They took a side in order to win a political fight. Today, we see politicians across the landscape talking about building trust and quote-unquote race relations as if all we need is for police and their victims to engage in some trust falls and all will be great. This is a bankrupt position that does nothing to address the fundamental problem that police continue to be above the law utterly unable to be prosecuted, and that 99% of them would rather play a certain NWA song in their cruisers than speak out against their colleagues. This is a broken system that needs to be dismantled and put back together again, and taking the side of building bridges and peace is taking a position in defense of the status quo, a status quo that only ensures a future of more deaths, more hashtags, and more pain. Now, many athletes are currently reckoning with what it means to be political for the first time in their lives, as we saw with the ESPYs with Carmelo and CP3, Wade and LeBron. And I got to say, it was really powerful to hear them speak the names of Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, Laquan McDonald, and Trayvon Martin, and to hear them call upon athletes to walk the path of Muhammad Ali and educate themselves. Now, this is... A strikingly positive development, as, as I want to be very clear about. I think it puts a stake in the heart of the whole Michael Jordan, Republicans, buy sneakers to ethos. Yet their goal should not be to become yet another in the already vast legion of feckless political actors. Instead, it should be to support those in the streets risking their safety to stand against hyper-militarized police forces and who in too many cities show up to these demonstrations dressed for war. This is what a young Muhammad Ali would do. This is what Wilma Rudolph would do. This is what 1968 Olympian John Carlos did when he spoke to Occupy Wall Street in 2001. I was there and I will never forget what Dr. Carlos said. He said... The point is not to be a star athlete, the point is to stand up wherever you are. I just happen to be one. If I hadn't made the Olympics, I just would have raised my fist in Harlem instead of Mexico City. Athletes have a critical role in this struggle. They can raise awareness about people's grievances, attempt to speak to white fans, and legitimize the very question of struggle. But to do that means taking a side, not building a bridge to nowhere. As Howard Zinn said, you can't be neutral on a moving train. Or as Boots Riley put it, you can't change by riding the fence. And I mentioned Wilma Rudolph, by the way. There's this amazing story of Wilma Rudolph causing the first ever interracial parade in her hometown when she returned from the Olympics because the mayor wanted to honor her because she was such a hero, but he wanted to honor her in segregated fashion and she refused. That's taking a side. She could have very easily have said, wait a minute. If we have something segregated, it can cause stress in both communities. How can I be a bridge to bring peace? You can't talk about bringing peace if peace just means more of the same peace has to mean a change in the current state of affairs. Now the Just Stand Up Award this week It has to go to LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony Dwayne Wade and Chris Paul For standing up at the start of the ESPYs But it also has to be said It actually is borderline patronizing If all we do is applaud when they stand up And just say, yay, athletes speaking out It's really important To examine what is being said The positives and the negatives And what we need to do to push the struggle forward And that's exactly what we attempted to do on, so that's all we have for this week on Edge of Sports. Uh, you can contact me anytime at sports at slate.com or through Twitter at Edge of Sports. My producer, Dan Bloom, thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Royce White. You can listen to back episodes, and the back episodes really are fantastic. I'm so proud of what we've put together, including our five-episode series about the life and times of Muhammad Ali. Go to edgeofsportspodcast.com. We are out of here. Peace.